So, hi there, everyone, and welcome to Happy Life Habits Inspiration Point podcast, um, live episode three with um, Nirid Shah, a stroke of genius. So, this is um, uh, we're halfway through our series of six. So, really pleased with um, all the episodes we've had in this series and in the previous series, and looking forward to um, the ones that we'll be having um, for the remaining of the series. What I would um, like to just say is, you know, a really warm welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time, and a, a, a very warm welcome as well to those of you who've joined us before and are back with us. So that's wonderful. And we will start with the usual question that we ask in Happy Life Habits. So just using a scale of zero to 10, but not using the number seven, just at this point in time, just check in where you are on your scale um, you're allowed to use fractions, you're allowed to use decimals, and you can put it into um, the chat, or you can just press the space bar and share if you'd like to. And the thing here is, as people share, not to worry about what other people's numbers are. Your number is unique to you, your scale is unique to you, and everyone's scale is different. Someone's eight might be someone else's six, and plus your eight might become a six in the future as you recalibrate and change. But the key thing here is just for you to take a moment to be aware of where you are on that scale, what you're feeling. And if you choose to um, uh, be aware of uh, the number you are, and if you wish to change it, then this is where Happy Life Habits can help with the things that um, we share to help you become aware and change um, that, uh, use practices to change that number. Oh, fantastic. Ishani is nine and Ajay is nine as well. Brilliant. Shani might be our youngest um, attendee today. So fantastic. Great. So ground rules. The session's being recorded. Um, if you are, uh, have your mobiles, you can put them silent for the duration. That'd be great. If you can stay on mute, um, that'd be good. Um, videos off during the interview. And then at the Q&A, we'll um, have the videos. Um, uh, you can have the video switched on and you can ask some questions via the chat or directly um, in that. And another top tip is when we do start um, the interview process, um, at that point, you might want to change your view to um, speaker view instead of gallery view. And um, you should be able to see the screen, myself and Niraj um, spotlighted on that. So just an introduction for those of you who aren't familiar. My name is Shaini Shah. I'm a happiness coach certified in science of happiness. And through Happy Life Habits, we're positively impacting happiness and well-being levels. That's what we're about. And Inspiration Point is one of our uh, podcasts, is one of our projects. Some positive news I'd like to share um, very um, early uh, uh, in the session is um, many of you may have heard of the Help Veer Now campaign. Um, Veer is um, the son of um, uh, some of our friends. Um, uh, the family is part of the Happy Life Habits community and come to some of our workshops and training. And for about the last um, year and a bit, they've been campaigning very hard to find a stem cell donor for their four-year-old son, Veer, whose blood counts have dropped and he needs a stem cell donor urgently. And various um, campaigns have been going on. And the really good news is <laughs> very recently, they shared that they have found a 90% match for Veer. So prior to that, there was a lot of um, worry, headache, and um, concern. Um, and a few months ago, um, 
he was kind of given a few months uh, to be able to find a, a donor. So it was a very worrying time um, family and for the community, but really great news that um, actually three matches, 90% matches have been found. It's still a long journey yet for a transplant to occur, but it's three needles found in a haystack. So it's really wonderful and positive news um, for uh, all concerned. And really happy that um, I'm privileged that Happy Life Habits has been able to support Helper now. And earlier in May, when there was a, a virtual extravaganza, then we opened um, the session with a happiness gratitude um, workshop, and um, uh, were able to uh, help share uh, some happiness and positivity, but support that campaign and support um, family and so forth. So, really wonderful news that a match has been found. And so stories like that are ones which lift us, which inspire us, which put a smile on our face. And Inspiration Point is just about that. It's inspiring, positive, extraordinary people sharing their journey, their challenges, their turning points, daily habits, and learning through personal development, happiness, and spirituality. And what we find is, as we listen to these, we feel uplifted, we feel inspired, and we see some commonality with what's been shared, and we also learn some other new thoughts and angles on what's been shared. So it's a wonderful um, platform in that manner. The whole um, project is based on 10 core questions. Um, some of these you can see on the screen, and each of these 10 questions is what we ask each and every one of our um, episode interviewees. And um, we might then delve into a few more um, questions to um, further take on um, what's uh, been shared. And as we ask these questions, you might want to ask yourself the same questions to think about what your answer is for these. It can be quite insightful. Really pleased to say that and grateful that um, Balance Consultancy has sponsored this full six series of, um, sorry, six episodes of this series too. So really grateful um, for them for supporting us um, on, on this project. These are the six episodes, and as I mentioned, we're halfway through, and I'll share a bit more about uh, the forthcoming episodes um, towards the end of the session. But one thing I will share very quickly at the moment is um, Neeraj, who I will um, introduce in a moment, is um, my cousin, and Ajay, who is our fifth um, episode, Dr. Ajay Shah, superhero doctor, um, is my cousin as well, and Neeraj and Ajay are brothers. And as I've shared in the previous episode, um, their mum, Anjumami, is on this call and will be in series three sharing some more um, stories and journeys. So slowly, slowly, we're getting the whole family um, uh, sharing their journeys through um, Inspiration Point. So uh, what can I say about Niraj? So Niraj, um, is, uh, as I mentioned, is my cousin. Um, born and brought up in uh, Birmingham, but living all over the place um, at the moment, and a real adventurous um, uh, chap. Um, really fast forward moving in terms of a quick adopter, an early adopter to various technologies and so forth. Um, in his teens, um, 13, 14 years old, is when um, my mama, his um, dad, passed away um, very suddenly from um, a heart attack. So very early in their um, lives, um, they um, saw this loss and grief. Um, 
soon uh, late that year, um, Niraj, Ajay, uh, myself with my uh, brothers and my uncle, all of us um, uh, took part in um, Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Weekend. So these guys were in their teens, and the rest of us were in our 20s and above. And uh, together we had this, this shared experience of um, the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Weekend uh, seminar and uh, was a big influence on us and helped shift um, or ex expand for many of us to look into personal development and um, uh, pushing ourselves further forward. Um, Niraj, when he was at university, um, took part in a Erasmus program and managed to wrangle some time out to the Creek Island of Samus, um, where often when he would call or share, he would say he was um, by the beach. So he played that one um, really well. And uh, during um, the 2000s, as the internet uh, technology boom was happening, he um, interned with a, a startup during um, that time. At the uh, age of 30, um, Niraj had uh, a stroke and he was lucky to recover from that stroke. And he will expand um, the story of um, the stroke, what he went through during that time and what's led to um, his recovery. Um, uh, and that journey has helped him become obsessed or made him become obsessed with looking into health and how to improve health, how to improve health in all terms, both physical, mental, social, emotional, and, and spiritual, as well as how tech can help us um, uh, with our well-being. Um, and that's you know, the focus of the work he does at the moment, the intersection of um, well-being and technology and how uh, technology can help our ancient brains. With that, he's an advisor to um, our, the European co-chair of the Silicon Valley's Transformative Technology Lab, which um, advises on uh, well-being and technology companies. And uh, he has uh, founded and uh, co-founded and started um, Mind Unlocked, which um, was share, uh, sharing uh, mindfulness practices and uh, giving talks on mindfulness and how technology um, can impact us and, um, and how the mind works. And through that, he's um, spoken with a variety of um, organizations, uh, many of the big brands that um, we know, including um, taking part in the, uh, the Lord Mayor um, uh, program in London and uh, having a write-up in the Evening Standard too. So that is, um, a short introduction um, to uh, Niraj. And what I uh, will now do is ask um, Niraj if you are able to switch your video on. And a really uh, you know, uh, a warm welcome to you. Um, and thank you for joining us. And the other thing I really wanted to just share as part of this was Niraj was um, one of the first people I um, shared this inspiration point uh, podcast idea with and was um, one of the first ones to say, yep, count me in. I'd love to um, uh, uh, support you on this. And it was a case of, uh, I'm not in the country at the moment. I'm not sure where I'll be over the next few months during October, November, December, but we'll you know, see if we can work it out, see what the internet connection's like. 
and henceforth we have been able to secure him for episode three of series two. Um, so, Neeraj, really good welcome. Um, and the first question I'd um, really like to ask you, which we ask everyone is, Neeraj, what makes you happy? Well, thanks for that intro, Shailin, and hello to everybody that I know or don't know, and it's great to join you all here. So what makes me happy is really easy for me to answer because there's some very specific things. One is when my feet hit the floor in the morning, when I get out of bed and I have the realization that I can still walk. And then when I notice myself having those thoughts and thinking, um, and it's another mental check where I realize I can still think. And the, the reason those two things make me happy, they, they make me somewhere between happy and ecstatic every day because they were very nearly taken from me. And we'll get into that. It is related to the stroke and how that specifically hit. Uh, so those, those two things in particular, and then there's a whole ton of other things that happen that make me happy. I think the point when Shailene asked me this question, it made me really think about it. And I concluded that my bar to feel happy is very, very low. It's, it's actually very, very easy for me to feel happy. What, what I will say, I think there's a difference between feeling happy in the morning, sorry, feeling happy in the moment, um, because moments come and go. And I think mm. it's actually quite easy to feel happy in moments and feeling happy in the long term. And mm. I think the indicators I think about much more are things like fulfillment and growth and those kind of things. So what, what I mean by that is at the end of the day, am I happy with how I spent my time, what I learned, did I feel like I grew that day? And that becomes how I feel about that day, that week, that month, that year, that series of months, that series of years. So I think that there is a definitely a difference between momentary happiness and longer term happiness. Um, I'd love to on that feeling because you, you're the happiness guy. These are just what I think about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, 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 what I tend to share is, you know, for us uh, to live a happy life, what we have is, um, our life is moment to moment. And the more happier moments we have, the happier our life is. So you're right, um, it is uh, that difference of the fleeting emotion to something which is more um, encompassing and, uh, and deeper, which includes, you know, fulfillment, purpose, and the general well-being as well. So now, great. So what are you currently doing that inspires you? So there's a couple of things. The first is that every day I get to dive deeper into technological innovation, specifically as it relates to well-being. And that's really fun for me because A, it's just interesting. And B, it means that I almost get to live with one foot in the future in terms of what I get to see and what I get to experience and how early I get to experience it. So we can definitely jump into some examples of things like that. And the other thing at the moment is I am spending my time mostly working out what my next business should be. And that's always a really exciting time because the slate becomes clean and it means I can cast the net out quite wide. And it also means that I'm catching up on a whole bunch of things that have happened specifically in how technology is changing the world, not necessarily all well-being related, but it's really getting me up to speed on some exciting things that are happening that 
um, just fit into the whole narrative. So it's, it's really those two things at the moment. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I guess that leads us nicely to um, a key um, uh, big question is, what has been your journey? What have been some of the challenges and uh, major turning points on that? So, uh, yeah. So let's dig into this because I think this is going to set the tone for everything else. And there's so many things that I could talk about in terms of the journey because I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes already in, in, in terms of just the sheer amount of things that I've been fortunate enough to, to do and try and so on. So you, you spoke already, I was 14 years old when my father passed away and that was very sudden. It was very unexpected. It obviously changed our world uh, overnight. And I could talk more about that and it's maybe something we'll come back to, but the major arc here is the story about the stroke because I think that's the one that's had the most profound impact on what I then, you know, how I see the world and also how I've, what I've then gone on to do. So after my father passed away, I remember at the age of around 15 or 16, there were those two things that I knew for sure. The first is that I knew at that point I wanted to travel and see the world because as, as you say, I grew up in Birmingham and, you know, we, we weren't going on lots of foreign holidays and tra traveling in that sense. We'd go and visit the family in Kenya every two or three years. And uh, we had this one big trip to Disneyland when we were 11 or 12. But apart from that, we were holidaying in the UK because that was that was the life that we lived. It, you know, air travel wasn't cheap and common the way it is for us now. Um, so I knew I wanted to travel the world. And the other one is that I knew I wanted to run my own business. And I didn't really know what that meant, except that I would I felt that I'd be in control of my own destiny that way. And the reason I tell you that is it gives you the context of everything else that came afterwards. So if we fast forward into my 20s, I had started investing in stocks and shares in my um, university years in a very, very small way. But I had a little bit of money left over from university because I had a job there and we had grants and all, all of those mm. kind of things. And as you had mentioned, I interned for a dot com in the summer of 2000 and mm. then immediately went into a master's in IT. So the te technology thread was already there from that kind of age. And actually, I don't know how much of this I've even shared with you, but at that point, my first plan after I finished that master's was basically to go to Silicon Valley and talk to a bunch of startups and get a job over there because I knew I didn't want to be a programmer, even though that was something I was learning in, in my studies, but mm. I knew it would be helpful to understand some of those things and then go and work in the business side of a tech business. And that didn't work out that way because um, two things happened. I graduated in the sub, uh, October 2001. So early 2001, we'd had the first dot-com crash where that all came falling down. And it meant that it was very easy to go to Silicon Valley. And then it actually became very difficult to mm. get work permits and that kind of thing. And the second thing that happened, of course, is 9-11, September 11th in, in the oh, yeah. in New York. So then financial markets around the world crashed. And I was a graduate who had ignored all the graduate schemes. So my friends were joining, you know, my course mates were joining big tech companies like Oracle and Microsoft and people like that. I didn't have anything like that. So hmm. I just knew that I wanted a job in 
sales because that that was where I felt that I could bring the most value. And I basically fell into the recruitment world because there was very few companies hiring at that time. And I just happened to get a job. And through, you know, there's been a few instances where I've just had pure dumb luck. And this was one of them. I just happened to fall into a really good company that who was hiring graduates, growing really fast. They'd been a couple of years in the version fast track, 100 fastest growing private companies in the UK. And this company went on to IPO and they just trained, they worked for me very hard, but they trained me very well. And basically I fell into that career and the first company uh, IPO'd, then I moved to another company, which was again, small, fast growing company, which ended up being bought out by a private equity firm. So I got to see the inside of that process. And um, that business actually took me to Hong Kong and um, I started working for a startup recruitment business um, as, as the third one, which was again, by this point, you know, going back to what I was saying, I knew I wanted my own business, but I'd become sidetracked. And, and at this point, I really thought I'm going to start a headhunting firm because this is what I knew. Mm. And I was getting all this really good experience, not just in how to do the job, in, but in how, how to maybe run these kind of businesses as well. And yeah. this, this takes me all the way through to 2008. And I would I, I just moved to Hong Kong after do, going back and forth for a while. And the credit crunch happened. So uh, Lehman collapsed while I was out there. They were one of our firm's biggest clients. Um, my office got shut down. I was out of a job. So I was in a bit of a dilemma because I had options in Hong Kong. My former boss was ready to hire me back. But um, my, my wife, Cushy, she was still she stayed in London because um, my market was investment banking. I used to headhunt traders, um, credit mm. traders specifically. And we could already see there was some funny stuff going on in the market. So we decided that she should stay at home for a couple of months while I figure out what's going on, but I'm crazy not to go out there because the company's paying for it and all the rest of it. So anyway, long story short, I came back to London uh, because she was doing really well in her career. And that, that was a completely justified decision because she was absolutely flying in what she was doing. So I came back to a very depressed market um, had to scramble around for a job because the advice I've been given was to keep my face in the game if I want to start my own business, keep my relationships, all of those kind of things. Actually, actually in hindsight, there's a wrong advice. What I should have done is just taken a year or two off, gone and done something else. But uh, that, that was the choice that I made. But in making that choice, I had to A, pivot and move down the food chain quite a bit from an executive search firm to a um, more of a transactional recruiter. And, you know, we talk about dumb luck. Those first three companies I'd worked with, really good companies in the sense that they trained well, they had ethics, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, maybe people on a call do know this or don't know this, but the recruitment world actually um, is known for its sharp practice and mm. that lack of ethics and all of those kind of things. So the fourth company I worked for when I came back to London was financially very successful, but in, inside it was a horrible place to work where you can't trust your teammates. They're not doing the right thing by their clients. They're not doing, they're just not doing the right thing. So I, I became very, very disillusioned with what I was doing and I wasn't doing anything good for the world and all the rest of it. So I decided I need to get out of here. And by this point, I'm 29, 30 and thinking, if I can't start any business that I want at this age, then there's something wrong with me because 
it's it's not about feeling, you know, I shouldn't be feeling pigeonholed at this age. So basically that decision was made, I'm gonna, you know, spend the next 12 months spending my evenings and weekends researching how to start a business, what I'm going to do. And by this point, the, the technology thread had always been there, but I'd never mm. managed to work in the industry. And I'd become very interested in health. And the reason I've become interested in health is because I distinctly remember one day sitting at my desk, looking down, seeing this spare tire, thinking, where is this stuff here from? You know, you know, I think we've all been there. And of course, it's because of you know, fast food and drinking and not enough sleep and all these things that we know today. So I started actually cleaning up my act and started drinking less and eating properly and exercising and all these things. And, and the reason I tell you this is because a couple of months into that process where I'm now mentally checked out of work, know that I need to get out of there, um, spending my evenings and weekends researching. And I've got a cutoff date, which is after this, at this date, I'm handing my res resignation in no matter what, because at the end of the year, I'm not going to be employed by these guys, which, which is a really wonderful thing to do because it creates the kind of pressure to get something done mm -hmm. and a couple of months into this process out of nowhere i had this very sudden very serious stroke so that um and we, we can talk a little bit about that if you want to um but the long and short of it was that i was very very lucky that i was very lucky they didn't kill or incapacitate me because the type of stroke that I had is called a, it's quite rare, it's called a cerebellar infarct. It's very rare for it to happen to a 30 year old, especially when there was no hereditary history or no underlying health factors. And that, that wasn't even stress because I, I was really not bothered about what happened at work. It was, you know, if these guys sack me, I don't really care, but I'm not going to resign while they're paying me. So I was doing the bare minimum there. Um, so stress wasn't really a factor, or, or at least stress in that moment wasn't a factor. Maybe yeah. pent up stress was, because of, of course something caused it, but we don't really know what. So um, at the point it happened, I remember the doctors telling me on on the second day that well, actually, actually, I'll tell you what happened. The <laughs> and I'm just trying. I'm trying to think about how much detail to go into because I know we've got limited time because we could talk about this for the next two or three hours. And there's yeah. so much to this story. But what I'll, we can do is yeah. um, pull out some key points, but you've got um, an article on your um, on your webpage, which we'll share, mm -hmm. which goes into it in um, the full, um, the more detail. Yeah, so, good, um, good idea. I've got, got into, into a lot of detail. That was actually the first blog post I ever published because... The context for that was for years after I didn't speak about this because it was so difficult to think about, so difficult to articulate, so emotionally charged that in the end I wrote that blog post because I wanted people to know what happened, but I didn't want to tell them. And the reason I'm so open about it now is because for the last few years I've spoken about it so much that I can talk about it without, um, with, with basically without breaking down. So, um, the, the long and short of it was that I um, had this serious brain injury and when they told me what had happened, I didn't even know what a stroke was. I just knew it happened to older people. So, and, and you mentioned my brother, Ajay, he, he was on the end of the phone and he was talking to the doctors and he explained to me what had happened. And basically the blood flow to my brain had cut off for probably quite a short period of time. 
but that's enough to starve the brain of oxygen and that part of my brain is dead. So I wake up in this hospital bed and I'm completely drugged up, feeling very groggy and I can't feel, um, I can feel my legs. Like I, I knew they were strengthening, but I couldn't move them. So that's going back to the fact that I can walk and do a lot more now and the fact that I can think because we didn't know what the brain damage was going to be. Because when this kind of thing happens, anything can happen. It, it's different every time. So basically spent a couple of weeks in hospital. St. Mary's by pure dumb luck has an amazing stroke unit because of such a rare case. They tested everything twice because they were trying to get to the bottom of what, what this was, but there's even, you know, there's quite a few outliers they looked at. And at the end, my neurologist, amazing guy, really ahead of his time, when he discharged me after two weeks, he said that, one, you need to treat this a bit like a plane accident. Like, like there's, there's no reason we know why it happened, but it happened and you've got to accept that. Secondly, you have to sleep every day, every afternoon until you're physically recovered, you have to sleep, um, which, you know, 11 years ago, because it's coming up to 11 years now, 11 years later this month, um, that was not commonly held as, really really strong advice whereas now we know so much more about our sleep function and what happens and how vital it is especially to recovery and brain recovery and all of those things and the third thing you said is from a physical point of view i only want you to do yoga or go swimming no, nothing more than that until you've made made a lot of physical progress so that got me started on those kind of things so fast forward all of a sudden i'm at home now i have to sleep every day i can't do anything i can't go anywhere so all I can do is read, think, and sleep. So all the time and space that I've been praying for, I've suddenly got. So number one, be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> but secondly, I've, I've got what I wanted. It took me out of work and I started, I became obsessed about health and brain function and all of those because that was for me, how can I try and prevent this happening again? Because we don't know why it happened. And in those that first year especially, but the first two, statistically, I was in a very bad place. Like the chance of reoccurrence statistically was very, very high. So I became obsessed about that. And I also started reading a lot of business books and started getting educated. And then just to fast forward the story, basically, I the whole health and tech thing was still there. That's what I wanted to do. I me about six months to make a physical recovery, but I was walking again, you know, sort of unaided after about three or four weeks. Um, and uh, within a year, I got back on a snowboard, which was a massive motivation. Like, like I never knew if that was going to be possible again or not, but it was a real motivation to do all of the physiotherapy and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So, and just for everyone's um, uh, benefit, Niraj loves his um, skiing and snowboarding. Um, so if you have every uh, opportunity during the season, um, they're uh, uh, going out and are still you know, going out to um, catch a... Uh, uh, the slopes. Yeah. So, we're fortunate because we we are able to spend several weeks every winter doing that whilst combining mm -hmm. that with work and all the rest of it. And in fact, yeah. you, you alluded to the fact that I'm uh, been moving all over the place and we, we've been in Bermuda for a while, which is where I'm talking to you from. And we've actually got our skis and snowboards and stuff over here because there's a possibility we might be able to get um, over to the US for a quick trip. So we, we'll see. It depends on sensibility and feasibility, but it, it, it may happen. But the, the point being is that this is a really big part of my life and our life, you know, that, that time spent in the 
outdoors doing those those kind of physical things. So that, that is what happened. I worked for a couple of startups to get experience, tried to do things in health and technology. And at the end of 18 months, I'd learned so much, but I was so frustrated because I've got absolutely nowhere with any of it. So out of desperation, because my alternative was go and get another recruitment job, there was four or five people who would hire me very, very quickly because I'd proven I can make money for them before. Um, I didn't want to do that because to me, that was like, then it's going to be even harder to get back out of this. So I thought, thought, okay, I need to make something work in the next six to 12 months for my own sanity as much as anything else. So I turned to property out of desperation because we didn't have any property assets. And I knew that was really important for the, the kind of wealth that we wanted to create and figured that, you know, worst case, I must be able to buy something run down and refurbish it and sell it and figure that out. Um, long story short is that that I committed to that, forgot about everything else, spent 12 months immersed in that sector. And those 12 months actually went pretty well. One year turned into two, two turned into three, four. Um, and I, I still do a lot of stuff in property now and have that initial property business, which is really uh, quite useful because it's the fuel that basically pays my salary today. Uh, without me having to be very involved in it, which was a really, really great thing. And also my mental recovery was complete at that point because, or 99% complete, as complete as it's ever going to get, because through finding that modest business success, it gave me my self-esteem back. It gave me that, that sense of self-worth back. It, you know, we talk about growth and fulfillment and all of those things. I finally felt like I was participating in the world I, I wanted to. And also just doing something really good now where, we're, we're having a really positive impact on the, the tenants and the buyers and the contractors and all the different people that we work with. Like, you know, I, like I say, I wasn't very interested in property, but I was interested in working with great people and, and just winning again. So that happened. I co-founded a real estate technology company, Crowd Property, which you know. And that, at that point, I tried to scale my property business and really didn't enjoy it. Like really didn't enjoy it. So decided, well, actually, let's keep that business small and lean and restructure it so that I don't have to be that involved, but um, can basically um, expand it when, when we need to. So, for example, right now, we're really active. So we just grow, grow the project team of, you know, people who are going to work on developments yeah. or whatever. But I, it's super lean, like we don't employ anyone or anything like that. Um, and turned my attention to health and technology and figured, OK, now I know some things about business. So let's get involved in there. Um, and, and from there, just basically started helping a few startups, just, just basically sharing with them what I'd learned. And that turned into formal mentoring, got involved with the guys in Silicon Valley, um, got, got immersed in all of that, started Mind Unlocked as a very experimental side project. And that grew some legs. So ended up doing that very actively until pretty much the end of last year. Um, and then decided that we're going to wind that one down for, for a whole bunch of reasons, but really to create space to do something else. And I'm at that do something else stage now, which is, um, you know, I, I'm really, it will probably end up being technology, probably end up being well-being, but at the moment I'm casting the net really wide because I don't want my past to determine my future. So that's the story. We're up to date. Fantastic. And uh, something for um, our audience to take away from this is, so, it was you know, a journey where you're exploring different things um, from the business sense of the point of view, throwing yourself deep into it uh, in a way 
um, excelling at it because of uh, you know uh, all the qualities and the attitudes and the learning you did. And I know you're a voracious um, reader and get a lot of book recommendations for you. And you know um, your library is extensive and applying those things and learning from it, improving on it, making it into a system and an op in a way, I guess, like I said, the lean autonomous kind of process, and then moving on to um, seeing what else you want to turn uh, your focus on and uh, uh, putting your energies um, into that and working in that way. So no, that's great. So what I would like to do is um, move on to um, what are some of your daily habits and routines that support you, that allow you to, you know, uh, put your energies into these projects? So it's such a good question because I think at the start, I had to actually work in quite a disciplined way to figure out what the right things were. And that, I think that's very, very important when you're learning about whatever aspect of well-being you want to learn about. But the fundamental pillars, no matter which way you put it, no matter which technology you look at or gadget or latest trend or innovation, it always comes back down to a few fundamentals, which is having good nutrition, having a good level of and variety of movement in your life, having really good sleep. And I think the master system that runs all of that is how you think about things and how you see the world, because that determines all of that. And then all of those things determine that back, it becomes a bit of a loop. So I never veer too far from those things. And if I'm not feeling the sense of vitality or energy or that, those kind of things, then I always look back at those things and figure out, okay, which, which one of these needs adjustments at this stage. And actually in most cases, I think for mo most people, when you're talking about dealing with non-chronic or non-clinical things, the easiest way to get back on track is actually improve the quality and quantity of sleep um, because mm -hmm. then that, that improves your decision-making and all the rest of it. So in terms of habits and routines, I was traveling a ton before the pandemic uh, we've been traveling since, since that hit, but in a different way, whereas now we're staying put in one, one place for a longer period of time. Um, so, but whilst I was traveling, I kept it really, really simple. It would, rather than having this massive to-do list of habits and routines, and then when you veer from one of them or, or you, you miss one of them, then you start feeling like, okay, now, now I'm just going to let the rest go because that's mm. what we're susceptible to. That That's a very common thought process to do with the way that our brains are wired I kept it super simple it was like you know every every day I need to um in the morning get at least 10-15 minutes of movement ideally outside uh get get some really good filtered hydrated water in, into my system um and um that was it really that was it and, and then from a sleep perspective there's a whole bunch of things I mean I mean it's all second nature now but I'm very sensitive to i'm not naturally a great sleeper my, my wife is she she can just sleep and because we measure this objectively and, and we collect all the data on it we know that her sleep is amazing e even though we have the same conditions for everything whereas my sleep is not naturally that amazing because i do have to work at it but it's a combination of things like eating within a specific window not eating uh, ideally um, within three four hours of bed uh, keeping alcohol consumption low or limited, um, getting exposed to light, uh, like daylight early in the morning as soon as we get up. Um, I, ideally, get getting out into nature if, if that's possible, mm -hmm. like even if it's for like 10, 15 minutes, getting that movement in, th those kind of things. But I 
yeah, you know, th th those are some of the habits and routines. And then you mentioned the reading thing. I, I try and read 10 minutes of something educational every day. I don't make that happen every day, but more, I think that's been yeah. a really important one because this little habit snowballs. Yeah. And also, I think with what you just shared, it's, um, it's the basics and the fundamentals that you're focusing on. It's not trying to, you know, go with the latest fad or anything in that manner. It's the core basic fundamentals, you know, the, the sleep, the, the movement, the nature, all of these things and breathing and mindfulness and all of those things. And, you know, you start the session also, which uh, was, you know, that you're able to think and stand on your own two feet. So gratitude is, you know, firmly coming through um, uh, in there that as well. Fantastic. What's one of your um, favorite quotes? Um, yeah, so I think especially during a pandemic, it's from Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And this is my most recommended book during the pandemic, because of, if you're not familiar with Viktor Frankl, he was a, he survived two Holocaust camps, and he himself is actually a neuroscientist, so it's like a real-world experiment, but his, his mindset and worldview is amazing, because it's so well and good me saying some of these things but this is a guy who's seen the worst that humankind has got to mm. offer and the quote is that between stimulus and response there is a space and in that space is our power to choose our response and in our response lies our growth and our freedom so if we unpack that a little bit first of all it's this idea that between the stimulus and the, and how we respond there is a space even though we can't always perceive that space and when we start getting into things like meditation and we start becoming aware of the workings of our mind, we start noticing that space a hell of a lot more. And we have a choice of how to respond. And of course, a lot of these things are automatic. So a lot of this work can be rewiring our subconscious programming, which actually, you know, I, I think from everything I've read and seen determines at least 80 to 90% of what we end up doing. So the real trick here is to reprogram our subconscious programming mm. but the, the point is in that response lies our growth and our freedom and mm. i think the overarching thing here is that external events don't really tend to determine that how we see the world and how we optimize for that has a much more profound effect on how we feel than what's happening externally if that makes sense uh, yeah that's fantastic and i smile a lot because it's a quote i often share and in our first episode with uh, mel byron it was on um, either it was Holocaust Day then or the day before it was Holocaust Day. And um, I shared this quote and the little story about Victor Frankl as well. And also for me, it's a very special one where uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits is where I got introduced to this quote and to Victor Frankl's work as well and Man's Search for Meaning. So um, yeah, that uh, stimulus and response path is uh, very uh, important. And, just tying into that with what goes on inside here, how I tell it might with the science of happiness and stuff we share there, it's you know about 50% of our happiness is controlled by what goes in here. I think 10% is circumstances, 50% is genetics, but 40% is in our control. And it's with what we can do here. And it's just where we cultivate those habits to support us and cultivate the things which can direct and make us. 100% into that 40% and um, benefit in that way. So fantastic. Uh, what's a, an achievement are you um, proud of? 
Can I just add a point to that last thing you said? Because sure. there's a specific way that I look at this that I think that can be quite helpful because a lot of our work uh, with Mind Unlocked has been working with type A people who are curious about these things, but quite skeptical. And I think the problem sometimes is that this can be perceived as positive thinking and red tinted glasses and all of those kind of things. And it's the important point here, I think, is not to not to say that there aren't challenges in life and there aren't unfair things that happen and there aren't, you know, difficult circumstances. It's just that whether it's true or not, the optimal way to look at these things is to look at what we can learn, what's positive, what we can be grateful for, because the truth of it doesn't matter. It's th those thought processes put us into a resourceful state where we can actually do something about these things, both in terms of how we control our internal focus and actually how we feel about the whole thing. And that's why it just becomes utterly logical as opposed to, um, am I kidding myself and, and am I just going to, you know, sort of become one of these giddy, happy people that uh, doesn't see the world for what it really is? So it's absolutely acknowledging those things, but then at the same time, understanding what's the optimal way to see it so that I can have the best experience of it, but also have the most growth and fulfillment and all of those things. So the point being, you can, you can feel alive in any moment or you can feel crap in any moment. But whichever of those it is, the moment is there. So you may as well choose the one that's going to empower you the most. Spot on. Fully um, agree with that. Thank you for that. Um, Achievements. Yeah. Achievement. So, so this is a really interesting question because I think if you'd asked me this 10 or 20, 10, 10 years ago, I would have had a very different answer. I... The way I look at achievements now is very, very different. So, you know, I'll give you an example. If we look at something like career highlights, we could pick out a couple of things that I've done because there's, there's a bunch of things that I've done that may or may not be considered achievements. But one of them, which will live with me forever because it's so unique, was that I had the chance to lead 1,000 meditators on London Bridge um, in 2019. And it was a very unique opportunity where they'd closed down the whole thing and so on and so forth. So I could frame that as that's an achievement I'm proud of. But actually, the way I think about it is I'm very grateful that that happened. And the reason for that is two things. One, I'm grateful that I'm the one who got the call because I may not have been asked. And I'm grateful that I had developed to the point where I could actually really nail what was needed and deliver it so that everybody had a great experience. And the reason I frame it that way is because those external achievements, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that we don't see around that. So in order for something like that to happen, there has to be government involvement, council involvement, mayoral involvement. Then there there's a, um, the whole health and safety security side, there's events directors. It, it's a huge production. Mm. Um, and it's the way I see it, it's like a championship winning team that's been put together and there's all these different people's managers, coaches, different positions, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I had a fantastic playmaker, uh, Julie Montague, because she's an incredible professional and she'd done those kind of things before. And she ran the yoga session before I closed it with the meditation session. So actually my role in that achievement that I get the credit for is that I was just a striker who got the ball on the, you know, I just laid it on a plate and I put the ball in the back of the net. 
But in order for that to happen, so much has to happen. So I think this is, this is true of business. It's true of life. It's a, it's a team game. So yeah. turning the lens on the achievement thing, I look at achievements as internal things that I may not be publicly rewarded to for, but I know that are going on. So I've, I've shared stuff like this with you before, but for me, a big achievement in the last year or two is firstly, getting to the point where I can really listen to people for what they're saying and turn down a chatter in my mind so that I'm not trying to figure out what I'm going to say back because that's that's how we're wired. That's what most people do. So I don't get that right all of the time, but I more often than not. The second one is that I have gotten a lot better at not interrupting people, um, which, which again, you know, when, when your mind moves at a million miles an hour, it, it can be very tempting to want to do that. And we live in this world where we're vying for attention and there's not, it's so noisy as, in terms of what's going on. And then something else I'll add to that, you know, the kind of things that I see as achievements is, have I cultivated the discipline to focus on the things I need to focus on to get to where I want to go, as opposed to some of these external things? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love it. Yeah, it's really good. And I really do like that. And I've noticed that um, what you shared about really listening and not interrupting and giving that attention to whoever you're with and giving them the space to have that dialogue and conversation. And uh, it's a great skill to have um, developed and uh, that full uh, and I fully, you know, get the internal, um, yeah, the internal achievements as opposed to external ones. And that uh, is great. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, just on that, just on that, your dad was a master of that. He made people feel like they were the most important person because one thing I noticed after, you know, after recent events and whatever is that so many people came out and effectively said some version of, I had this really special relationship with him. And the, the and, you know, each grandchild said I was the favorite. And, and when they were saying it, I was like, what are you talking about? I was the favorite. And even though I didn't, you know, spend that much time with him, especially in the last 15, 20 years. So I think it's um, it's a really underrated thing. And it's something that I want to try and cultivate more. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for um, yeah, mentioning the highlight. And yeah, we've uh, observed that and uh, aspire to work uh, uh, in that realm as well. So thank you. Um, what is um, one of your favorite books and why? Oh, I've actually got it with me. I have most things are on the Kindle, but occasionally I'll buy a hard copy. So this is The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. So this is basically a really good primer. It was only written about a year and a half ago, which means it's already out of date in technological terms. Um, and then, you know, they, they said the challenge is they started writing it and a year later, other companies have come in because things moved that quickly. But it's a really good primer on what's happening from a technology point of view and how it's going to change the world over the next five to 10 years. And the speed of what's coming is unbelievable because if we look at technological change, if we look at just, just 20 years ago, we're only 20 years into the internet era, um, and we're only 10 plus years, 10-ish years into the smartphone era. I think the first mm -hmm. iPhone is 12 or 13 years old. So the point being that, What's happened in the last 10 years 
has been a volume larger than the 10 before. And what happened in those 10 years was a volume larger than probably the 50 years before that. So we've got these converging exponential technologies like AI and immersive technology and sensors and networks and biotechnology, but they're all, and you know, manufacturing and science and 3D printing, but they're all converging. So the exponentials are getting faster. And the, yeah, to give you one example, I don't think people have realized how quickly the, the autonomous driving side of things is moving mm. forward and, and how quickly it's going to change things. But I would say by the end of this decade, it, it's going to be the norm for us to probably have self-driving cars in most situations than not um, on top of a ton of other things. So going back to the things we we're talking about, you know, one of the companies that I have the privilege to advise is a bio biotechnology, sorry, not biotechnology, they're, they're biofeedback and neuroadaptive AI, which sounds very, you know, fancy, it just means it's, um, they, they are understanding objectively mental states in real time through voice data and then serving content to then basically manipulate that, those mental states based on what that user wants to do. These guys are A, they're at the very cutting edge, but B, they're actively working with a bunch of car manufacturers because if you think about it, all, all the cars are going towards voice yeah. and smart speakers in the homes and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're building the AI systems which will look at the whole mental well-being side of it. So that's a really good example of two or three things converging. Wow, fascinating. And that will bring a whole new level to uh, the question, how are you? when that's asked yeah 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 it's worth it's worth mentioning very very quickly that there's a ethical problem with all technology in this space which becomes quite interesting because all of it is open to huge levels of abuse so um it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out and at this point i'm just very very hopeful it plays out the right way but whatever happens it's going to play out yeah, and just for everyone else's benefit, um, Peter Diamandis, one of the authors of the book, he's um, well known for this idea of the moonshot um, and at the X price. Would you like to expand on that a little bit, Nirich? Uh, what yeah, what a, concept a, of a, a moonshot bit. is? And it's, so a little bit. The, the moonshot thinking is very prevalent in Silicon Valley, where you're basically trying to achieve these huge, huge, huge things and the point being that it's not an incremental uh, incremental change. It's not, can we make a more efficient car? It's how can we change the whole ecosystem of how we think about cars and how they're powered and all the rest of it. You know, a bit, bit like what Elon Musk has been doing with Tesla. Um, so it's really looking at the whole paradigm shift rather than uh, can we make a better widget? Hmm. And the whole idea being that Aim for the moon, even if you miss, you're still amongst the stars further away, further than where you are currently. So, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I, I think it was popularized. This term, terminology was really popularized at Google, I think. Hmm. Okay, fantastic. Okay. Um, what did you learn from your parents? What did I learn from my parents? Um, I mean, I remember my sister. How you got? How long have you got? I'm very, very, very lucky in that sense. I think if, if I was going to narrow it down, strength and adversity, because uh, you know, as we spoke about, my father passed away when I was 14 and my brother was uh, 15 or 16. 
Um, there's, there's quite a small gap between us. And um, for my mom to raise two teenage boys all of a sudden when you know she's in her 40s herself, just seeing the sheer strength and the ability to kind of get through that, that was very, very telling. It was a really early lesson in how to deal with challenges. The adventure through experiences, which is something that's really shaped my whole life, that came from my father because, uh, like I said, we, we, we didn't grow up rich, we didn't grow up poor either, but we, um, you know, we, we had the, whatever you want to call it, like a lower middle class type upbringing. But mm. I distinctly remember that on a Saturday, if it was sunny, he'd be waking me and my brother up and he'd be like, come on, let's go. We're going to do something. And we'd be going on some sort of adventure, whether it was to a theme park or to some place we hadn't been. And, you know, at the time we could never have understood this, but the reason he was so enthusiastic about this and a reason he wanted to do it is because he wanted to do it himself because in their upbringing, they didn't have those kind of opportunities either. So, yeah, this idea of growth through adventure, I think sums up so much of my business journey, my, my travel journey, my journey with action sports. It's this idea that where I think, for me, for sure, but I think in general, where we really grow is when we go and do things and, and go and experience things. So, you know, it's not, it's not just putting on a backpack and going into the jungle for 10 days. It's, it's also ordering something different than you would normally order to try something else, reading something different to what you would taking a different route or going somewhere new or something like that. I think adventure can be found in, in a whisper as much as it can be found in these grand gestures. So that, that was a big one. And the importance of investing, I remember coming, I'd be, we'd be home, dad would come home from work and he'd flip on teletext and there'd be all these numbers and we'd be mm. like, hey, you know, we we're watching that. What are you, what are you doing? And it'd be like, no, th- th- these are our investments because, you know, we didn't have these fancy holidays, but he was building a, investment portfolio which really stood us in good stead so I think that really impacted me and that's why I knew that I wanted to get into investing early and started in in, in my university years. Fantastic that's um, uh, great um, and what you shared here you know the strength in adversity adventure through experiences I think some of that um, we'll also hear when um, Ajay shares in two weeks time um, some of those uh, aspects are um, there and uh, as I said, Mum and you, Auntie, will share in a future episode um, uh, the story you've just um, uh, given us a little insight into as well of bringing up um, the teenage sons um, <laughs> through uh, those circumstances. So look forward to those. Um, and the kind of yeah, the last core question: Who or what are your uh, inspirers? There's so many, there's so much inspiration in the world if we look for it, which means turning off the mass media news and actually, you know, curating what information comes our way. For for me, I'll keep it really simple. Um, I'm very, very inspired by entrepreneurs because I'm still learning and I've got so much to do in that space. I'm very fortunate now that I'm connected to a lot of different entrepreneurs, but especially entrepreneurs who are kind people and generous people because what what i found what i've observed in my life is there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are fundamentally not nice people and that's one of one of the ways that you can actually do quite well in business that you know let's not 
And if you're willing to um, screw people over and, and do those kind of things, then actually you can do quite well in business. So that's one side. The other side is there's a lot of very, very kind, generous people um, in the world mm-hmm. who are not great entrepreneurs. Um, that, that's just another sort of statement of fact. So mm-hmm. marrying those two, th- two things is actually quite difficult, but I've managed to connect to a lot of people like that. And I know, and we see more and more examples like that of, you know, for-profit businesses, which have some sort of social good baked in either into the fundamental product or, or a byproduct. Um, so I, I find that very inspiring. And I think the, the ultimate inspirer is when you see somebody who's come from the toughest circumstances, who had nothing and they get to the pinnacle of whatever they're doing, that they're the stories that teach us that anything's possible and our ex- excuses can be put to one side. And, you know, if they can do it, then others can. So th- th- those are the ones for me, I think. Yeah, no, I, 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 that, those things, the concepts resonate in, you know, a business for good and not just for profit is, uh, I think, a, a really important aspect in making that difference and looking after not just the customers, but uh, the staff as well as the suppliers, you know, that whole e- ecosystem, um, really important. Um, I'm aware that um, we are on the hour, um, so if it's okay with everyone to just stay on for um, a little bit longer, 10 more minutes, um, and uh, we will um, share a few more things and um, have the opportunity for a few uh, Q&A as well. Um, so if you're able to stay on for 10 more minutes, that'd be awesome. So the one question that um, I often like to ask um, on top of these ones is, is there anything that um, I haven't asked that you'd like to answer or is there anything else you'd like to share um, at, at the moment? Not really. I think we've covered a lot. Um, I think I'm interested if anybody else has got any questions or if there's anything else that you want to ask. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm yeah, no, good uh, with what we've asked there. We will, um, I think, open up and give an opportunity for people to ask um, some questions. So if you do have a question, if you'd like to put your name in the chat um, over the, the next minute or two, uh, then um, we'll just yeah, ask um, people to share that. So if you just want to um, put your name in, then um, we'll ask you to come off mute and you can ask the question. And what I will do as we are waiting um, for that is just share my screen again and go um, on to say, so Niraj's website is Niraj5, H-A-H, so Shah, but spelled with the five, dot com. Um, the article that um, we mentioned of his first blog post, which goes into sharing um, the journey of um, the stroke, um, stroke of good fortune, I think it's called, is on that site, as well as um, other information, articles and, and contact information uh, on there. This is the picture of Neeraj on um, London Bridge of the uh, story he shared um, there on that. Um, Again, take the opportunity to thank um, Balance Consultancy for sponsoring um, the whole series. And as I shared, um, please just uh, drop your name in the chat if you do have a question you'd like to ask on any aspect of what we've um, discussed or anything else to uh, Neeraj or myself. Um, we're happy to uh, take a couple of questions. Um, 
we are at the halfway point in this series and we've got three more episodes um, over the next three weeks to come through. Um, so next week we have uh, Selena. Um, she's an exalted uh, mediator. So um, join us next week if you want to know what exalted means and if you also want to know what a mediator does. But she has a really strong um, focus and emphasis on um, spirituality, on family, on faith. I, 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 and that comes through in the work she does and she'll be sharing her journey on to how she's become an exalted mediator and some of the, her turning points and practices. Then the week after that, um, we have uh, Dr. Ajay Shah, the superhero doctor. Um, there's uh, some more information um, about uh, Ajay and uh, the other uh, speakers um, in, on the website and in um, the blog just published today. So please do have a look at that on the website. And uh, uh, Ajay almost didn't go into med school and now um, is appearing on ITV News um, sharing the wonderful work he is doing. So uh, that's uh, going to be a, a great um, session to uh, take part in and find out a little bit more. And then our final session of the series is uh, Nina Joshi Ramsey, um, um, Lifewaller. Uh, it's an extended session, uh, one, because it's the last one, and two, um, because uh, like Neeraj, uh, Nina uh, and I had lots of good conversations. And so um, we've um, put that as uh, a little extra one. Um, ah, okay, yeah, Neeraj has just highlighted um, mindandlock.co, lots of articles and great resources and information on there um, uh, to help. So please do um, take a look at that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because we're not selling anything anymore. We're actually winding down that business, but we kept the website and everything live because there's so much good free stuff on there. So if some of these topics are interesting, then you can check that out. And also, if you go to my website that Shailen highlighted, that's my tag on all social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. But on my website specifically, there's a lot more about the mental well-being and technology side of things if you wanted to find out more about that. Excellent, thank you for that. Um, so one of the things that Niraj, uh, with his early doctor and technology hat, shared with us a few weeks ago is a platform called Wanda. And um, this Sunday, um, Happy Life Habits is going to explore and use um, Wanda for a new initiative, to explore and try out something we're calling Connected Conversations. Um, it's not a workshop, it's not a talk. It's between 30 to 60 minutes. You join on time and you can leave at any time. And it's a platform which allows one-to-one, one-to-many conversations. And you can move around um, in that environment and talk to different people. And uh, it's an opportunity to discuss, share, explore, express, listen, and connect. And the theme we're going to work with, with it being on Feb 14th, is relationships and connection. So those are um, what we're going to work with. Um, the links on um, the website. So please, uh, if you'd like to explore um, relationships and connection and just join us and, and see what this is like, um, welcome to join um, these connected conversations. Um, the March uh, Gratitude and Habit, uh, sorry, Gratitude in General Habit Immersion Training course is open. If you're interested, information's on the website. Um, gratitude can really help with the rewiring, it can help um, with uh, being resourceful, as Neera said. It opens up the learning centers in the brain. Um, we're doing a 30-day um, course. Um, G 
check out the information on the website if you're interested. And um, it starts on the 28th of Feb and runs through um, to the end of March. And all the different social medias linked is shared here, as well as the Facebook um, group on um, called Happy Life Habits Community. Our opportunity is for you to um, be involved and join us in uh, the community. And uh, opportunity for you to share your zero to 10 um, without using number seven. And we'll thereafter ask if anyone does have any questions, would love to take um, one or two questions before we completely um, finish for the day or the night, depending on where you are. So, I can't see any questions um, coming through. So, okay, that's fine. That is uh, all well and good. Then what we would like to say is uh, thank you, Neeraj for joining us, spending the time with us and sharing um, your journey. Really appreciate that. And thank you uh, uh, for saying yes to this project very early on. Uh, really uh, appreciate uh, that. Um, oh, yeah, Wersha, if you want to just press the space bar and ask your question. Hi, Neeraj. Hi, Neeraj. Uh, thank you so much. Um, oh, my God. Um, you are indeed such a uh, breath of fresh air, and uh, it's so heartwarming to listen to your journey. Um, I'm just uh, amazed at the, it, it. It seemed like you've lived, lived sort of three or four lives <laughs> uh, in this short space, uh, being uh, a youngster to then going into recruitment and into IT, health, and all sorts of things. So, Thank you so much for sharing your personal journey. I just want to just to say that this COVID and the times we all been going through, it's been so tough, I'm sure, for all the viewers that are listening today. And I'm sure they're going to all probably agree with what I'm going to say, that all the simple things in life is what we are really appreciating at the moment. And certainly the health and the, the meditation, yoga, all the things that, you know, we used to take for granted we are we are really appreciating the relationships our friends family all, all those things so how do you see uh, after the covid um how do you see the world in your in your in your eyes changing what what kind of things do you wish people will uh, be become better better at such a good question thank you for asking it so I think that I was very, very lucky to be shown the fragility of life 11 years ago. So I was already a positive person and I already had a pretty good outlook on things and so on. But this, this was a shift from, you know, going from mostly like that to I only want to live this way now. Um, and I think what COVID has done is that it's created a collective trauma because I went through a deep trauma and collect the collective trauma. And 
Collective trauma causes a lot of problems, but it's basically caused this kind of shock where normal life changed overnight for most people. And all of a sudden, all these things that were taken for granted, we can't do them anymore. And I think for me, because I came so close to not being able to do any of those things again, I don't take those things for granted. So I think this is what's going to happen because there's people who have had strokes and cancer and other things much worse than I've had it or much less than I've had it who some of them react the way I've reacted and some of them don't. And there's so many factors that go into that. It's not just down to that person's own, you know, you know, you can't just blame that one person for that. But the point I'm, I'm going to make is that we are going to come out of COVID at some point, right? But I, I can't tell you how long that's going to be. That's a really good question to ask my brother uh, in a couple of weeks time. Um, he, he can give you a much more knowledgeable answer about that, but you know, it's okay, I'll ask my husband. <laughs> yeah, okay, there we go. But the point I'm making, at some point, life will, COVID won't be so, so imposing on life is the best way of putting it, whether it's eliminated or whether it's brought under control. And I think what will happen at that point, in the same way that people react differently to a, a stroke or a heart attack or cancer or something yeah. like that, yeah. there's going to be a proportion of people who are, now it's like, I'm only going to value these simple things and stop status chasing and stop trying to please others and stop caring what such and such thinks and just focus on the impact I want to have in the world and all of that. And then there's going to be, a, you know, unfortunately, this is human behavior. There's going to be a ton of people who just go back to what they were doing before, exactly. possibly even worse. Mm. And the only thing, the only lid on that is going to be what they can afford to do in terms of going off the rails. So I think now's a really good time to make that decision of you know what you stand for who you're going to be and and how you do it and i i don't even you know I, I don't even think there's a right or wrong answer other than you make a conscious choice about what you want to be and how you want to be and i think if mm. somebody makes a conscious choice of how they want to live and experience and see things that conscious choice may be that i want to eat fried food and watch netflix and um, all the rest, and you know, come what may, not not worry about my career, whatever. But I think if somebody's made that conscious choice and that's what they choose to do, then for me, that's sure. winning because th that that's it's so individual. So, yeah, I just think that you know, it, it's going to be down to each individual. But there's a, it's given us all an opportunity, myself included, to really reset and sure. think about and pause from the madness of the kind of world that's out there when we can do everything yeah thank you for that and I, I, I'll, I'll just um, add one um, final um, uh, aspect to that whether it's COVID or not uh, whatever is going to happen uh, moment to moment our life is going to move on and we're going to have our ups and downs we're going to have challenges and we're going to have uh, you know high points and low points what we can do and what we should do and what will help is focusing on the four dimensions that we've talked about, the physical, the mental, the social, emotional, and uh, the spiritual. And social, emotional is relationships. The mental is what we think and what we learn. The physical is what Nira shared about, you know, the sleep, the, um, the nutrition, the exercise, and the spiritual, you know, the, the deeper faith, meaning, and purpose. Those are the four elements which make up the human dimension, which make up happiness. And if we are able to build habits and routines in those four and keep it simple to those four, then we live a balanced life, we live a happy life. And that's the, what, you know, why it's called happy life habits as well. 
It's building these habits which sustain us through the thick and thin. Don't let us fall as far when we have a challenge. Let us bounce back quicker, build our resilience, and have a mindset that systems and structures and opportunities in place to allow us to surf life's challenges. So that um, brings us to the end of today's session. Please um, do email us um, with any feedback, but I'm very conscious of uh, where we are on time. And Miro is asking for one minute before we close the session. Go ahead, Miraj. So I thought this was actually a really good point to close on based on Darshan's question, actually. In my opinion, there's a misconception that after COVID, the world is going to be less chaotic when actually before COVID even hit, the world was getting more and more chaotic year on year because of technological disruption, basically, which, is, which has meddled in politics, caused, um, you know, brought, brought to a spotlight about social justice and racial discrimination and all of these kind of things. But the point I'm making is it's tech that's driving the chaos in the world, not, not necessarily COVID. So it's a complete misconception if anyone's thinking that one COVID's done, the world's going to go back to what it was. So the point, and this is why it's such a good point to close on, is if there's two lessons from the future that are relevant today, one is that the ability to self-regulate our emotions is probably the most ability, important ability. A couple of years ago, I was saying for the future, now I'm saying for the present and the future, because that's... like. Otherwise, our emotions are going to get pulled all over the place by technology, news, this, that, whatever. And the second one related to that is learning how to learn is going to be the second most important skill because the old paradigm of academic learning, which was basically memorize and repeat or understand and apply, it's we're going over a lifetime, we're going to have to learn and relearn skills multiple times because the cycles of change are getting smaller and faster. So, you know, this all ties back to all of the themes we've been talking about, but if I can conclude everything I know, like I, I will stand by those two statements with absolute conviction. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so and, much. Uh, as Darwin said, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most adaptable and change is there and how we respond to that change is in our hands. So with that, I wave goodbye to everyone and thank you all for joining us. See you either on Sunday or next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Bye.